Good morning, West Covina Christian Church family and friends. I pray the Lord has kept all of you well, safe, and protected. This morning, Pastor Corey's sermon will be telling the story of Jesus on the Emmaus Road after his resurrection. Pastor Corey will be pretending to be one of those men who talk with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. He likes to do this from time to time to help us to envision what really took place. I usually read from my New King James Version this morning because Pastor Corey will be telling the Bible story from the NIV Version. I printed out the NIV Version, which I will be reading from the Gospel of Luke 24, verse 13 to 35. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly more evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us, within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned to Jerusalem at once, there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, 
The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them and when he broke the bread. Yeah, it was, a, it was about right here. One, one, two, third tree just past the bend uh, over here. The, this, this is right where it happened. 30 years ago, my friend Cleopas and I were making our way back home from Jerusalem after having spent the week in Jerusalem celebrating the, the Holy Week. Cleopas and I were good friends, and we lived in the same small village. But uh, we didn't get a chance to see each other throughout the year because of busyness uh, from work and family. And so it was our tradition to walk back home after we had celebrated the Holy Week in Jerusalem. And we would catch up on each other's lives. It was a seven-mile journey, and so we discussed what was happening in our families and discussed what we had just experienced this pa- uh, during the past week. And this year, I remember, it was year uh, 30 AD, and, and we had so much to discuss. Uh, we were recounting all the things that we had seen happen during that past week. I myself at that time was just a spiritual seeker, so I was always full of a lot of questions and comments. And Cleopas, my friend, I never quite knew where he stood all the time, but he was such a good conversational partner, and we would, uh, and we would engage in all of these things that were on our hearts and our minds. I remember us uh, reflecting over the past week. On Sunday, a man by the name of Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, and the crowds lined the streets to, uh, to welcome him in. They threw down their cloaks and their palm branches, and they shouted, Hosanna! The crowds uh, seemed to love him, but by Thursday, the, the crowds had s- seemed to completely switch their mind. Now they seemed to be opposed to him. And I recognized that there was outside influences that were trying to get them to turn against him. There was so much energy uh, floating on the streets that Thursday night. Thursday night, many families had gathered together to celebrate the Passover feast together, and now they were uh, milling about in the streets, and there was always a lot of energy in the air, and so the religious leaders of that day seemed to be trying to capture that energy and use it for their own purposes. You see, even the Jewish leaders, though the, the Jewish people were oppressed by the Roman soldiers and the Roman rulers, they, they needed the Romans on their side that, in that moment because they had an agenda. They were, they were against this Jesus who had been welcomed into the city earlier, and, and they wanted him to be done away with. And so here they were going around, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Herodians and all of the religious leaders, and they were kind of whispering little, little thoughts into people's minds. I remember uh, one of the Pharisees came up to me and said, Hey, I want you to do me a favor. In a moment, Pilate's going to come out. It's always his tradition at this time of year to release one of the prisoners. And what I want you to do is I want you to shout with everyone else for Barabbas to be released. Now, I didn't say it, but I, I was thinking in my mind, Barabbas? There's no way I'm going to shout for Barabbas to be released. He's a murderer, an insurrectionist. He has caused riots that have done great harm to my people. But remember, I'm, uh, but remember, I'm just a spiritual seeker, and, 
and my, my courage was low, I wasn't going to shout for Barabbas, but I also wasn't going to defend the other option that Jesus would be released. In hindsight, I regret that decision, but this is where I was at at the time, and I could sense the energy on the streets. There was, there was, there was, we were on the verge of a riot. And if I was to stick my neck out for Jesus, surely it would be chopped off. I knew better. I was no idiot. And so when Pilate came uh, up, when Pilate came out and he appealed to all the people, who should I release? Shall I release Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd shouted, Barabbas! And Pilate uh, seemed to almost want to defend Jesus. Why? What has uh, this man done? He is innocent before you. And, uh, and, uh, and again they shouted, Barabbas! And Pilate asked, well, what should I do with this man? Crucify him! And the crowds had turned against him. There was all kinds of uh, animosity towards this man, wanting to seek to try to spare him and satisfy the anger that was, uh, that was floating in the air. He ordered Jesus to be uh, flogged. And so to, just under the legal limit, 39 times his he was uh, whipped with a cord that had uh, glass and stone embedded in it to the point where you could barely recognize him. One scourge after another, his flesh was ripped from his skin. And then just to be cruel, to mock him, they put a, thorn of, a crown of thorns on his head and the blood ran down his face. Put a, a, a purple robe around his shoulders and said, So you're the king of the Jews? And they mocked him and everybody seemed to love it. Eventually, the, the anger of the crowd could not be satiated, and so they ordered uh, Jesus to carry his own cross to the top of the hill called Golgotha. And as being so weak, he continually fell to his knees until eventually they had to take a bystander, a man I later found out his name to be Joseph of Arimathea, and they, uh, Arimathea, and they grabbed him and made him carry his cross. Eventually, they made their, their way to the top of the mountain in his nails and his the nails were driven through his hands and through his feet and he was hung from a cross a criminal to his right and a criminal to his left and i could see the people continue just to come by and to mock him and to spit in his face and insult him and yet he did not return insult for insult even in the midst of such a tragic in difficult circumstances, he seemed to have a certain amount of meekness, even compassion about him, to the point where I could hear him whisper prayers like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And eventually his strength grew weaker and weaker until he could not lift himself up on the nails that were driven through his feet, and his, his lungs collapsed, and he breathed his last the final words out of his mouth were, it is finished. Just to make sure that he was dead, the soldiers came with a spear and uh, jabbed his side and water and blood flowed out. He was dead as could be. Cleopas and I reflected upon all these things and the more we thought about it, the more our hearts grew heavy. I'm sure we were a pitiful sight by the time the stranger came up behind us on the road right here in this spot and he asked us so what are you guys talking about 
I don't know what his intentions were. Maybe he just was uh, wanting a traveling companion as he made him his way home from the, from after the Holy Week, and yet we were we were a little bit gruff with him. Our emotions were raw, and I turned to him and I said, "What do you mean? What are we talking about?" Jesus of Nazareth, of course. That's what all the news has been about this past week. And he engaged in our conversation, listening to what we had to say. And then Cleopas, with a little bit of quiver in his voice, said something that caught my attention because it touched my heart. This is what I was feeling as well. He said, oh man, we had hoped we had hoped that he would be the one sent from God to redeem Israel and to forgive our sins to be the one who would be the Messiah but now we knew in our heart of hearts that that hope was dashed because not only was his body beaten and broken and hung from a cross but I could see that his spirit was killed as well as he said it is finished all hope was gone and yet Jesus had seemed so special there seemed to be something that was about him that that had stirred our hearts I had been there the, uh, to see him cause a man that was lame could not walk get up and carry his mat out of the room I had heard about him uh, making people that were uh, blind from birth to be able to see people that could not speak they were mute were, uh, were given the power to to shout his praises he was so special and now our hopes were gone and yet we heard the rumors even on that morning it was Sunday morning that we were making our way back to Emmaus, the rumors were flying through the air again that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Some of the women who knew Jesus had gone to his tomb early that morning to anoint him and to care for his dead body, and yet the tomb was empty, and they claimed to have seen Jesus. Some of his closest followers, the disciples, had uh, also were saying the same thing, that Jesus had appeared to him. But it just couldn't have been true, could it? And now the traveling companion that had, for the most part, just had a listening ear up to this point, began to speak to us, even a little bluntly. And he says, uh, are you so foolish that you do not know that, uh, what the Scriptures say? Or do not know that the Messiah had to suffer all these things? And the way he worded it kind of put me on the back of my heels. And so I didn't say no, but that's what I was thinking. I said, heavens, uh, I was thinking, heavens, no, I have no idea that the Messiah would have to suffer. Like, I've read the scriptures. I'm a spiritual seeker. I've read the scriptures dozens, hundreds of times. But never have I come to the conclusion that he would have to suffer. At least not like Jesus the vision I had of the Messiah in my mind was this conquering hero who would come and rescue all of his people, lead them out away from the oppression that was upon them. And yet this man began to open up our minds and our hearts in ways that we had never experienced before. In fact, he began to walk us through the scriptures one story after another. Passages that I'd heard a million times, been taught since I was a little boy, but never understood in the way that he explained them. 
He went all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, and he told how sin had entered into the world in such a way that it had to be dealt with. If God was a holy God, he could not simply look past it. And, uh, and so the sin had to be dealt with in a real way, and, when, and it was pointing towards one coming to be a Savior, a Messiah, so that when God's words were spoken to the uh, when God's words were spoken to the serpent, you shall bruise his heel, but he shall crush your head. The one that would be bruised would be the the one whose heel would be bruised would be the Messiah, but the Messiah would crush the head of Satan. And he went from the creation story uh, on in Genesis to the story of Abraham and Isaac and said that it was uh, when God said to Abraham you shall sacrifice your son your one and only son whom you love it also was a picture of the coming Messiah because Abraham at that time did not have one son but two and this was speaking of one who would come, would, who would be God's one and only Son, who would truly give his life as a sacrifice for many. The Passover feast that we had just celebrated was also a picture of the coming Messiah, uh, this man said, because it was with the blood of the uh, Passover lamb that was painted around the door frames of the Israelites' home that the angel of death passed by, but it, was, it would be with the blood of the perfect sacrifice, the Messiah himself that would cause the wrath of God to pass over, that all that would trust in him would be saved. It was the same way with all the Old Testament sacrifices, he said. Surely the blood in, uh, of bulls and goats could not satisfy the wrath of God. They were all looking forward to one who would come as a perfect, sinless Savior, a Messiah, to satisfy the wrath of God once and for all, that all who would trust in him could have their sins forgiven. He went through all of the scriptures of Moses, one after another, and then he turned to the prophets, to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Isaiah, and our minds were being blown away. In fact, it was in Isaiah 53 that he quoted that caught my attention and broke my heart. It says in verse 4, Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we have been healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, our traveling companion explained to us that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant. And now all of these things, it felt like the pieces were starting to fit together when we thought about the events of this past week and what Jesus went through and experienced. And yet I even though it felt like some things were starting to click, I had so many questions, 
so many thoughts running through my mind one after another. I knew it would take forever for us to finish that conversation, and yet the sun was going down on the horizon. Oh, I just, I, I longed for us to be able to uh, uh, be with our newfound companion for longer, but it wouldn't be safe to travel on the dark road much longer. And so I turned to him and I asked, would you join us for dinner? In this village right over here, there's a little hole in the wall, Martha's Cafe. It's got the best uh, fish and bread that you could ever imagine. Would you join us for dinner? And I was thrilled when he, when he agreed to. And so we uh, went in, and the place was buzzing because of all the travelers that were going home after the holiday. But we found a quiet booth in the corner, and we ordered the house special, fish and bread and wine. And we were going to have a great time together. But before we could jump back into our conversation, we had to bless the food. And so I asked this man that had opened up the scriptures to us to pray over it. And he, and he took bread in hand, and he broke it, and he began to give thanks to God. Now, what I'm going to describe right now is, is hard for me to be able to put into words. Because in that moment, as he prayed, there was a tingling that ran down the back of my spine and up again. Uh, as he prayed and my eyes were closed, I began to have just an image, crystal clear image in my mind of Jesus praying and in my mind's eye, I saw him praying over the food that had been multiplied, that I had eaten. And I saw him praying over Lazarus. And I saw him praying over the little girl, that uh, Jairus' daughter, that it has been said he raised her from the dead. And I saw him praying even from the cross. And these words of Jesus' prayers were roaming through my mind's eye as clear as could be. God bless this food. Lazarus, come forth. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as, I, and as these images of Jesus praying ran through my mind, they were with the same tone and the same cadence that this man that stood, that sat with us, uh, uh, with the meal before us, was praying as well. And when I finally opened my eyes, I could see that this was Jesus himself, risen from the dead. This was Jesus in his resurrected body. The same one that had prayed over Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. The same one that had prayed over the food was now praying over the meal that was here. And I couldn't believe it. This was truly him. Not only were my physical eyes open, but the, the eyes of my heart were opened as well. For in that moment, I believed in him and I trusted in him. And I loved him with all my heart. And just as quickly as I had recognized him, he was gone. Not that he took off and he ran out the room, but uh, he just disappeared, vanished before us. And I know that sounds strange in hindsight, but in the moment, it seemed quite natural. Because surely resurrection bodies have the ability to do things that uh, we in our fallen bodies are not able to do. And as much as Cleopas and I wanted to sit there and recount every moment, we knew we needed to get back to Jerusalem 
to tell the disciples what had happened. I, look at, I looked at Cleopas, and he had the same goosebumps on his arm that I had on my arms. And we both said almost in unison, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened up the scriptures to us on the road? And with that, we hit the road again. It was late, and I'm sure that it wasn't the most safe thing to do. But as I said, our hearts were burning within us. We had to tell the disciples. I was 30 years old at the time and never been much of a runner. But I sprinted all five miles back to Jerusalem that night. And when we finally found the disciples, we let them know the good news. Jesus is alive. We've seen him with our own two eyes. We believe in him, and we, and we love him. And just as we had wanted to do it, first we now did, we recounted every moment, went through every scripture with them again, and rejoiced in it all. You know, I know I get excited when I reflect upon, back upon these things. I, I love to tell this story. In fact, I recently had the opportunity to uh, tell the story to Luke, who is a physician, and he's been doing a lot of research later, lately. He uh, re- received, uh, uh, he was commissioned to uh, record a count of Jesus' life, and so he's been doing all kinds of interviews with those that had experiences with Jesus. And he recently interviewed me, and I, and I will tell you what I told Luke. That just as Jesus, the risen Messiah, opened my eyes when he broke the bread and I had this unique experience, what happened to me can also happen to anyone who has the desire to know him. Jesus can still open the eyes of people's hearts so that they can believe in him and trust in him and love him. Jesus is all around those of us that have eyes to see. His kingdom is right here if we desire to enter in. As I was sitting here uh, waiting to come up and tell my story this morning, I heard uh, Cy and Pastor Corey share about tutoring uh, little kids in this community. And uh, wouldn't it be, that be awesome if you were just to enter into the life of one of these kids? Just as the man on the road uh, opened up the scriptures to us as we went about our walk back to Emmaus, what if you came alongside of these little kids and you just entered into their lives and God were to use you to open up the eyes of their hearts? And I heard about how Susan is going around the world to share the good news of Jesus to those who do not know Jesus. Isn't that what it's all about? And how many of us in our lives have family and friends who, spiritually speaking, are blind? Jesus is all around them, but they are not able to recognize him. What if the Spirit of Christ who lives in us, the Holy Spirit, God were to use us to show them who Jesus is? What if we were to open up the Scriptures just like Jesus did to us, and all of a sudden, the burning, wonderful Word of God were to take root in in their hearts? 
You see, that is my challenge to each of you this morning. Do not keep this good news to yourself, but share it with others. Share it with the kids of this community. Share it with your family and your friends. Share it with those that you uh, 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 work with and you have daily interaction with, your neighbors. May they be able to see Christ in you so that the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts might give them spiritual eyes to believe and to trust and to love Jesus in the same way. Jesus taught us when he was on earth that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, I learned that verse from when I was a little kid, and there's a good chance you may know it as well. The verses that follow after that in, in Deuteronomy 6 are these. This is verse 6, right after the greatest commandment. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. He talked about them as we walked along the road, as we sat down for a meal. And may you, as you go about your daily business, may you also be able to open up God's truth to others that they may see Christ in you and be given spiritual eyes to come alive. Just as Cleopas and I had our hearts warmed as we talked with the man along the Emmaus Road, may the word of God be in your heart. Shut up like a fire in your bones so that you cannot keep it in any longer.